I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC, the podcast where we, grown-ass women, spend our time <laughs> reading and talking about the Babysitter's Club, and we love every second of it. Um, so we were super fans as kids, and now we're going back and looking at them as our 30, well, late 30 <laughs> adult perspective. <laughs> um, and we've been so excited to find how many other members of Generation BSC there are out there across all the different generations, especially loving the new Netflix series that is bringing in new generations and the new graphic novels. So we are here to celebrate and and when the, it warrants it, deconstruct what's going on with the Babysitter's Club. <laughs> yes. Definitely. Today, we are up to book 34 in the main series, which is Mary Ann and Too Many Boys. This was released in May 1990, written by, ghostwritten by, I should say, Mary Lou Kennedy. So this is our first, like, move into the ghost writer era. So Anna Martin still writes a note at the end of the electronic version. I don't know, Kate, does she... Do they have those in the old versions that you have, or were those a re-release thing? I think those are a re-release thing. They're not in – so, like, I guess sort of random in my book collection, I have, like, original release versions, and then some of them I was only able to find, like, the re-release. Like, they're all the paperbacks from the books, but, like, I think that the ones that are re-released, some of those do have the notes from Anna Martin in the back. The original books, like, that were released in 1990, for example, don't. So I think that must Got have it. been like a, a later edition, like when they were going back to re-release, because I think they were all re-released in like 96-ish, um, at least the ones that weren't out yet at that point. Because at some point, it definitely, like looking at my bookshelf next to me, there's definitely like a transition. It looks like it's around like 88, 89, where like all of them are the like updated covers. So that must have been once they like... So that they like hit the point where they had like started doing the re-releases so like all the books look for the same going forward if that makes sense gotcha yeah absolutely yeah i'm looking now the version of of mine the re-release version that was the electronic one was 1996 march 96 okay. so yeah they still would have been being released at that point so that's interesting that's a interesting point to do that especially for a well, I guess they probably didn't release the ebook version of it at that time. They just used the 1996 version. Yeah, that makes sense. To make the ebook. Okay. That makes much more sense. So anyway, we're <laughs> we this kicks off the ghostwriter era. We've been talking about knowing this is coming for a while, so I'm excited to see how this all plays out for us. Definitely. As always, I will kick things off by letting us know what the back of the book tells us to expect. It's Sea City Part 2, when Marianne and Stacy return there as mother's helpers for the Pike family. The girls can't wait to catch some ways, stroll down the boardwalk, and babysit, of course. But neither of them expects to meet up with her boyfriend from last summer. And to further complicate things, little Vanessa Pike has a crush on the cashier at Ice Cream Palace. Only he has a crush on Mallory. Will a summer romance come between Logan and Marianne? Will an older boy break Vanessa's heart? There's only one thing for certain. There are too many boys in Sea City. I feel like there's not too many boys. I mean, there are a lot of boys in this story, but like the implication <laughs> is that there's like so many boys and there's just like drowning in them. And there's really like three. <laughs> exactly. And that's three boys for four girls in the related scenarios. So yeah, too many boys is, 
I get what they're going for there yeah. when we talk about about the themes, but it does feel like an exaggeration. And then again, at, at 12 and 13, you know, dealing with what are feelings, what's romantic, what's friendship, you know, two is is plenty for Marianne to get overwhelmed. So. That's true. And Marianne also does, in addition to Stacey's, you know, current C-City boyfriend, Toby. She also references Scott the lifeguard from Boy Crazy Stacy and Pierre from the ski trip. So she's sort of bringing in any boy that's been adjacent to her and or Stacy because like she obviously references Logan too, in addition to her C-City boyfriend, Alex. So I guess I kind of like from Marianne's perspective, she's thinking of like all the boys, not just the C-City boys, but very still, true. but still like I, I don't, yeah. I don't get it. It's an exaggeration for sure. But I, I yeah, I, I would say that it follows with the rest of the back of the books, you know, hyping things right. up in, 100%. In, a, in a big manner. And I would say this one, like I said, I think it does sort of capture Marianne's position. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as a, well, I, I think that's going to be a, one of the themes overall for me is definitely having a very different perspective on this as an adult what about you what were your what was your overall takeaway did you like this one it was it annoying um i generally liked it i it was a little annoying in that it was basically a retread of boy crazy stacy from marianne's perspective which i think was a little bit interesting since we didn't really get her perspective in boy crazy stacy but it i mean it definitely just felt like hey remember when we did this last year let's do this again and have like pretty much all the same story beats and also i guess i for some reason in my brain, I thought that Boy Crazy Stacy was spring break, not summer vacation. But the back of the book just said it was summer vacation. It was definitely spring break. That was one of the timeline things that I know. Okay. Because I was like, I thought um, Claudia went to Vermont to go skiing on Boy Crazy Stacy trip. But now she's also going to Vermont this time and it's the summer. I was like, I was so, so confused about timeline, which obviously <laughs> you were much more... I don't know. You had much more forethought and like thinking about it rationally. And you probably even double checked that it was spring break instead of me just assuming that it was spring break in Boy Crazy Stacy. Well, to be fair, I did double check, but it was a week and a half ago and I could have misremembered. <laughs> but um. fair, fair. And when we look at the timeline, it feels like we just did winter vacation. It seems like only a couple mm-hmm. of books ago, but I did check the timeline and it was five episodes or episodes, five <laughs> books between um, Super Special Number Two, Babysitter Summer Vacation, and Winter Vacation Super Special. And now we are another five books ahead and we are back in the summer. So we're looking at like a 10 book cycle. And I'm wondering if that's going to keep up because that's a pretty short cycle for for a, a quote unquote year in in the world that just keeps resetting that year over and over again, especially for, you know, having a hundred some books in the series that just feels like, are we really going to do eighth grade 10 times? I, 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 I feel like, not- I, but I feel like when we've talked about like summer vacation and winter vacation, like those sort of just feel not like, even though chronologically book release wise, they follow, you know, like we, I guess I don't really know exactly how I'm trying to say this, but like I feel like when we've talked about those books, we sort of acknowledged even when we were talking about those, like these don't really fit with where we are in the normal main series books. Like they they sort of seem like, yeah, obviously they happen when they happen, you know, in the universe of the books. Obviously 
winter vacation happens before this because Marianne references Pierre. But like, right. does it matter that winter vacation came out after book 30 or whatever book it was? Or or before, yeah, before book 30? Because it, it went from like winter vacation to like the wedding, which I think we even acknowledge like that timing makes no sense because the it's not winter when Sharon and Richard get married. So it was right. like... So yeah, I, I don't like. I think that's what's like so confusing for me, at least, and maybe you too, as we're going through these, because it's like, is it a ten book cycle from summer to summer? Are we going to do this ten more times, or should we only be looking at the main series? Because obviously, they do say it's summer vacation in this one, so we know book thirty four, it's summer vacation, and we know. I don't remember when the last summer vacation was in main series references, but it must have been like almost 30 books ago, right? Like it must have been like 20? Because wasn't no, – like 10. Was, was it 10? Because well, wasn't, yeah. wasn't Christy's big day – like wasn't that in the summer? I don't remember. I, <laughs> I shouldn't even try to go with the timeline stuff. We know how this goes so wrong when I try to like <laughs> look at the timeline and try to figure things out. Like whatever that Thanksgiving book was when I went down that rabbit hole that yes. it ultimately <laughs> went nowhere and like the timing actually made sense. I was – yeah, I, I should just step back from the timeline. We know that that's your forte. <laughs> I, I should just wash my hands of it and let you tell me what, what time means. <laughs> well, I, I'm just guessing at this point, too. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking it, but my notes are all like, what the fuck? This makes no sense. So <laughs> how I – so I think where I got thrown off is there were 15 books between Babysitters on Board and the next Summer Vacation uh, book, the – Babysitter Summer Vacation. But those were both released in July. And I think the books are roughly set around when they were released, at least these early ones. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that continues, but like the Mother's Day Surprise was released in May. You know, the Thanksgiving one was, or the Halloween one was released in October. You know, all of mm-hmm. those kind of line up if there's a, you know, timeline. And this one, she points out at the very beginning of the book, it's the last day of school. And for most grade schools, that's usually late May, early June. Mm-hmm. So my impression is this happened like the very first thing of summer and the, those other summer books actually happen later in the summer. Oh, okay. So that would make sense why this is earlier because we do have Island Adventure coming up not the next book, but the following book. So we have um, in between, we have Stacy and the Mystery of Stony Brook, which will predict at the end of this one. And that's followed by Babysitter's Island Adventure, which is again, July. So it looks like the super special summers all come out in July. So I, I don't know if this was maybe initially planned as spring break. And then I don't, well, I don't know why they wouldn't have stuck with that. Right. Especially because then it would have made more sense for them running into Toby and Alex again, because, you know, same spring breaks. I guess, but mm-hmm. it, it they also this one is over two weeks rather than one week, so I guess they need that's why they needed to put it. In. Although I think that the I think Boy Crazy Stacy was also two weeks because I feel like I remember being like, what what school has a two week spring break? Like I feel like having like I had that thought, so it it almost feels like if we're leaning into Stony Brook having a two week spring break, like just set this one at spring break also. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's all wonky. So I'm I'm definitely going to go back and triple check Boy Crazy Stacy because now it's going to really bother me. <laughs> bother me. But I I was certain it was spring break. So anyway, yeah. I'm sure I, somewhere 
well, no, I was going to say, I'm sure somewhere somebody was keeping track of all of this on the publisher side, but you know, no, I don't, I don't think that that's true. Or maybe it was, but it was pretty loose. In any case, we know the timeline is fucked. The end. Like, (laughs) (laughs) pretty much, yeah. (laughs) We, I mean, we knew that going in after exactly realizing that after the first like five books, they're just in eighth grade forever. So clearly, clearly, there's some some wonkiness going on. Well, and if you're in an infinite time loop, time is going to lose all sense of meaning. I mean, we experienced that last year with the pandemic. My, mm-hmm. my time is still, you know, now as we're slowly venturing out into the world again, fully vaxxed and ready to go, mm-hmm. although still masking up. I, I, I followed the CDC's advice this whole time. I've been using them as my benchmark. And I get it. I get the hypocrisy of now being like, mm, I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> it makes me feel safer. Uh, so, you know. I mean, only in, like, crowded places, Mm -hmm. which I'm still not really going to. But in any case, that's neither here nor there. (laughs) The point is, we know from the endless time that was 2020 that felt like an infinite time loop that time quickly loses all sense of meaning. So I can see how, you know, if you are 13-year-old girls in an endless eighth grade year, sometimes are going to feel really long and sometimes are going to feel really short Mm -hmm. and – Maybe we're just experiencing that time loop distortion as readers. Potentially. <laughs> or more likely, the publishers figured the target demographic was not paying attention to, you know, was the timeline strict? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does this make sense? And just sort of went with it. So um, I'm going to go with option B as being the far more likely. Yeah. And I was going to say most readers of the demographic that would be seeking out the Babysitter's Club aren't necessarily – um, reading them the way that we are now or that you would have read them as a child. They would have been reading them more like I read them as a child, which was just, oh, this one's here. I'm going to read this one. Or, oh, it's a new Marianne book. I want to read this one next. Like yep. not necessarily thinking about it from a continuous linear story, but more as a like a sitcom where you could just sort of drop in anywhere. And there's some things that carry over, but even if you didn't see the last five episodes, it's not really going to impact you at all. Yes, for a normal, rational person, that would be the case. But (laughs) I'm pretty sure my um, need for completion and chronological order really started probably with this series, Mm -hmm. recognizing that because I read number two first, and I vividly remember that like freaking me out and being like, no, why didn't I read number one? I'm sure I'm missing important context here. (laughs) I mean, I was five, so I probably wasn't thinking it quite that way. But I do remember feeling like, wait, this is number two. That means there's a number one. Right. <laughs> and actually, uh, you know, as I said in our previous episode, I've been doing a lot of work around my own ADHD and that kind of need for order and completeness, I think can really probably be tied directly to the messy nature of my brain and, you know, how many things I'm recognizing that I do now that were coping mechanisms that I put in place because I was undiagnosed as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I'm, it, it makes sense that that would be one of them. So in any case, we've now spent like 15 minutes or so <laughs> dissecting the timeline and had not talked about the actual plot at all. I will just say that I, I wanted to like this one more than I did. In fact, at first, I was kind of excited about going back to Sea City, like you said, from Marianne's perspective. I was like, oh, this will be kind of cool. I even don't mind some of the ways that it like retread and remixed some of the themes. However, I found myself annoyed with 
pretty much every character in this book, aside from Mallory. Well, even Mallory at certain times. I, I, and, and that made for a less fun mm-hmm. reading experience for me. And I, I really get to examine that for myself. And I know that's an adult perspective, like this Marianne back and forth, like, do I love Logan or do I love Alex? And I'm like, you don't love either of them. You're 13. And like all of this talk about true love and the very immature way that she chose just to not engage or talk about what was happening, especially with Alex. And then anyway, we'll, we'll get into all of the details, but, and I think that some of that is also my baggage. Like I am not a, I don't know if we've ever really talked about this, but I am not a relationship person. I've never been, you know, boy crazy in that way, which go figure. But, but either way, like I was never that girl. I was never Stacy who was like so in love with a boyfriend. I was never Marianne who had the like serious boyfriend and was always thinking about relationships. I was much more like, I like the unattainable crush. I mean, honestly, if I meant it like anyone, I was probably like Vanessa, where it was more, (laughs) you know, romantic made up in my head, but Mm -hmm. from a different from a distance. But I never would have left love notes because that would have made it real. Like I very much liked my romance as especially that age as fantasy, like Leonardo DiCaprio on growing pains. Hell yes. Real life boys in my class. I mean, we'd get married behind the dumpster for a week. And then (laughs) and then I would be like, no, I don't want to do this. Bye. And I think that that this for me, was less enjoyable because of my perspective. I think that's why I have no memory of reading this one. I am positive that I did because I was still reading at the, the them at this point. And I feel very sure that the reason I don't remember it is for that reason, that I just did not connect with it. I didn't have any emotional resonance with it as a child. And so then reading it as an adult, you know, on the upper end of the, the 30s is going uh, – this – I just wanted everyone to grow up. I don't know. And and so I ended up more frustrated than not at the characters and their actions a lot of times, if that makes sense. No, I think that does make sense. Um, I'll just respond to that really quickly, and then we probably should do the plot just because <laughs> oh, now, yeah, now we're at over 20 minutes. But, I mean, <laughs> I, I think I obviously don't have the same baggage that you have. I think I was it was easier for me reading this to sort of – remember that these kids are, you know, they're 13-year-old girls, the boys are 13, you know, we've got Vanessa who's nine, you know, having a crush on a 12-year-old who in turn has a crush on 11-year-old Mallory. So I think for whatever reason in this one, I was able to sort of see it from their perspective a little bit more and not get as frustrated. I was very frustrated in that, you know, the same issues that were arising in Boy Crazy Stacey were coming up again with, you know, Stacey sort of letting Marianne have to sort of do everything and not really taking her feelings into account. I mean, it, it was frustrating that it was so just convenient that Alex also has a girlfriend back home. So they were just hanging out as friends the whole time. And, you know, Marianne mm-hmm. didn't have to sort of examine how she really felt. It was like, oh, well, clearly Alex and I are just, quote unquote, friends forever. And, you know, I only have romantic feelings for Logan and he's my one true love. And it's sort of like, okay, but also you're 13 and like, even being a you know such a hopeless romantic like Marianne is, it's like you know that the likelihood of you actually staying with Logan for the rest of your life is about zero percent. Like it, it right. could happen. I mean, there there are people that I know from high school that started dating at like fourteen in freshman year that are married. They have like 
five kids. I mean, it, and they, it, it's not like it was some like, you know, crazy religious thing. Like they just found their person really early in life. And like, they're happy. They, you know, live in Cincinnati, live in a great life. And I love seeing all their pictures on Instagram because their kids are adorable. But it's just like, that is the exception, not <laughs> the rule. And I think it's just right. sort of, I would expect Marianne even being as hopeless romantic as she is to like, at least have some acknowledgement that as much as, you know, she hopes that she and Logan are the ones who do last forever. Like, maybe it's okay at 13 that she's having these sort of similar feelings for this other boy that she knew before she knew Logan, you know, like we don't get any sort of examination of that. And I think, again, that might be more because it's a book for younger than 13 year olds that it's not necessarily a concept they need to really worry about or even think about yet. Um, I mean, I think it could be a good situation of sort of modeling behavior and giving some foundation for those things as they come up, as they grow up, you know, the kids reading these books, but um, I can kind of understand why they didn't go there here just because that's a lot to unpack for <laughs> a 150-page book where we also have, right. you know, three random side babysitting jobs that are completely divorced from the rest of the plot. So that's a fifth of the book right there. You're exactly right. And I did. I I, I think I had to more consciously remind myself that they were 13. Mm-hmm. Especially speaking about modeling behavior, but let's let's actually remind everybody what really is happening, and then we can get back to this conversation because otherwise we'll we'll get to the very end and go, oh, we never. <laughs> oh, by the way, did the plot description. <laughs> Here's what happened. Exactly. Here's okay. what we've been talking about the whole time. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so I'll dive right in with our description. Okay, so the Marianne specific plot. Summer vacation has arrived out of nowhere and with no warning, and the Babysitter's Club is splitting up to go to similar locations as they did on Stacey's Boy Crazy Spring Break. That's right, Marianne and Stacey are heading to Sea City with the Pikes for two weeks, and Claudia is going to Vermont, though likely not to ski since it's the summer. Dawn's going to California, and Christy and Jesse are staying in Stony Brook. Marianne and Stacy start off the trip reminiscing about their last visit, with both of them mostly overlooking Stacy's poor treatment of Marianne and joking about whether Alex and Toby, the boys they met and went out with last time, would also be there. Well, in a not-so-shocking twist, they are there for a month, working as mother's helpers for two families. The girls quickly fall back into their quote-unquote relationships, with Marianne getting confused over her dueling feelings for Alex and Logan, before ultimately and conveniently learning about Alex's girlfriend back home, and that they are great friends forever with no romantic feelings. Stacy takes a turn for the worse again, assuming she can go out with Toby whenever she wants without clearing nights off with Marianne, before getting dumped at the end of the trip and finally apologizing to Marianne again for how she treated her. The Pikes are their usual rambunctious selves throughout the ride down and on the trip, with a first-time focus on Vanessa when she develops a crush on a 12-year-old boy named Chris who works at the Ice Cream Palace on the boardwalk. She leaves him secret admirer poems that he incorrectly interprets as being from Mallory, breaking Vanessa's heart. Vanessa is surprisingly mature and clever in how she deals with it, including looking to Marianne for guidance and support. And the Babysitter's Club's specific plot. The Babysitter's Club is mostly out of the picture here, given the trip to Sea City, but we have three babysitting jobs from other members. Christy has a day-long babysitting job for the Radowskis at the community pool, where Jackie drops a huge cookie into the pool, steps on a bee and and is stung by it, and gets lost because he wanted to take a shower to, quote, wash some of the chlorine out of his hair. Keep in mind, he's also missing for over 10 minutes while they are (laughs) paging him at the pool, and he hears nothing. Okay, (laughs) back on track. Dawn gets tricked into babysitting for her dad's girlfriend's college friend's kids when Carol shows up with them and Mr. Schaefer surprises her with tickets to a musical that night. 
It initially doesn't go well, but the colicky baby falls asleep, and Jeff is an amazing junior babysitter with a three-year-old. Jessie babysits for her siblings in Charlotte Johansson in what starts out as the, quote, easiest babysitting job ever, but turns into a hunt for the Pike's lost hamster, who is ultimately found in the cage with the Ramsey's pet hamster. It turns out that Squirt did it after learning about matching animals from a show he watches that is almost certainly Sesame Street. So I just have to say, before we get into the, like, real plot specifics, because this is uh, it's more of a random thought, but you were cracking up about Jackie. That was the one part, the shower, was absolutely believable to me. That would have happened to me as a kid because that was my favorite part about going to the pool. That I felt very strongly. I was like, ooh, this was me as a kid. Way more interested in the shower than any of the other goings on at the pool. So anyway, <laughs> back to the actual plot. So it's interesting that you mentioned modeling behavior around Mary Ann because I didn't actually love some of the behavior that she was modeling. No, um, I was saying I thought, they could have done a better job, like of oh, doing modeling. Got yeah. it. I, that's what that I, makes I was much more sense. Yeah, I was more trying to say I don't know how much you necessarily needed it because the kids that would be reading these books wouldn't, you know, they're not at the stage where they would be having these sort of relationship issues. But th- yeah. if they had done a better job, that could have been a good modeling behavior for those kids to sort of have as a foundation in the back of their brain once they got to this situation. Yes, Marianne was not good modeling behavior here because everything was very convenient. She didn't actually think about anything. She just sort of ignored her feelings about Logan when, you know, it was like when she was with Alex, she was able to think about Alex when she wasn't. She was like, oh, I miss Logan so much and just sort of glossed over the fact that she liked both of these boys and she's supposed to be, you know, in love with Logan and, you know, promised herself to him or whatever language she uses, which is if not that very similar and it kind of icky for a yeah. 13 year old. But yeah, I, I am definitely not saying there was any good modeling behavior from pretty much anyone except maybe Vanessa. Got it. Yeah. Okay. That makes much more sense because uh, it, she phrases it as she's true to him always, which mm-hmm. is equally puke, puke worthy. But like you mentioned the fact that we absolutely retread the Stacy and Marianne like bickering plot line of Sea City. And I thought that that would have been a great opportunity for them to say, hey, we had really conflict last time. Let's talk about mm-hmm. this ahead of time this time, instead of just retreading it. And to the point where Marianne says, at, um, I think I, I wrote down the actual quote, but she says something along the lines of, I, I can't believe I've ever could ever be this mad at Stacy. And I was like, you can't believe it. You were literally this mad last summer or last spring break for the exact same reason. Like, why Mm -hmm. are you acting like this is a surprise? So I thought that that was disappointing. Like there was an opportunity for them to, to talk about how to, you know, I don't want to say resolve fights, but like conflict resolution to a bit to or like preparation, like learning your lesson. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I was going for there. And then, I mean, I know they're 13. I know these aren't serious relationships. And this is very much me like bringing my own 36-year-old baggage to the to the picture. But the fact that Marianne is going on these actual dates, like sit down, fancy dress at a restaurant, mm-hmm. the boy pays. And he orders lobster um, on the first date, which like I understand they're right? on the coast. And it's like, it's probably not like a really like nice lobster. But it's like this dude, they're going to a restaurant where you can order a lobster and they like, put a bib on you 
right? And she changes her outfit five or six times, and Stacy lends her her red dress. And, like, this is very much not a friend activity. Like, right. there's no interpretation of this event in which I would be thinking, I'm hanging out with my buddy. Like, I have guy friends, I have close guy friends that we go out to dinner or we'll go out to lunch or whatever. But we don't – unless we talk about it ahead of time, I, I'm thinking um, there was a couple of times when – we would like, oh, you know what? We should dress up and go somewhere fancy. But like, we were all clear on what the right. parameters were of it. That was just because it would it, be fun t- for the two of you as friends to get dressed up and go somewhere fancy, not because you're trying, either of you is trying to like impress the other with your choice of restaurants or exactly. attire. Like, it's just like, wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, that'd be great. Let's do it. Not like, I yeah. can't wait to see how this night progresses because I'm, you know, so interested in you romantically or lustily or whatever the non friendship Exactly. <laughs> Non-platonic. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, exactly. Like, we we were both single. We were lamenting the fact that, you know, there's there's certain places that are feel like, you know, couple places to go. And it, you don't just, like, tell someone, one of your guy friends in his case, like, hey, let's go, you know, to this fancy place. And so we would, you know, have fake dates, right. if you will. But we were, like I said, both clear that it was completely platonic. It, it weirded me out. And it sounds so dramatic to say she was cheating on Logan, but she was cheating on Logan. And, like, in a 13-year-old way, Mm -hmm. like, I mean, obviously I wouldn't consider that cheating as on an adult level. And for 13-year-olds, when that's the level of what you're doing, it felt very dishonest to me. And I think that's the word I was looking for. It's not cheating, but it felt felt dishonest. And that felt wrong for Marianne. Like, I get what they were going for with her struggling between her – with her feelings, you know, what is romance? What is platonic? How does mm-hmm. this feel? And you're certainly right. I was annoyed about the super easy, convenient, tie in a bow ending of, of Alex also having a girlfriend. But as far as modeling behavior goes, I think it would have been a good opportunity to talk about honesty and like how your confusion may have impact on others mm-hmm. or like how she like touches on briefly that you know, feeling guilty about Logan, but she doesn't feel guilty about her actions. She feels guilty about her feelings. And that felt like not a great message to send Mm -hmm. to kids. Like, well, and you've also got Stacy being like, well, what, you know, whatever Logan doesn't know won't hurt him essentially. And like, you know, you're, exactly. you're here and he's at home, so who cares? And so then you've also got not just what you're talking about, but then you've also got her friend sort of like, being the devil on her shoulder like oh yeah it's fine like logan doesn't have to know and it's just like what how is that an, a, a a good addition to this story on top of everything else yeah and it just i keep coming back to i'm taking this too seriously because i we we literally just talked about how her devotion as she calls it to logan was puke worthy so like it's not that I think that she should be that serious about Logan that she shouldn't do this. I just think it's the way she went about it was wrong. Like, I, I think that there is it, it was so extreme in either direction mm-hmm. that you know she's either fully in love with Logan and we're going to get married and I will I will always be true to him, or maybe I'm in love with Alex. When it could have been more of her grappling with you know, what's how, what's an appropriate way to act with Alex mm-hmm. since I do have a serious boyfriend? And I don't know. Then again, that feels a little older. Like, that feels maybe like a 15, 16 conversation. Yeah. Because they are so innocent. Like, yes, they were dates, but they didn't kiss or anything. There wasn't, you know, hand-holding or whatever. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm really muddled on all of that because all of it felt icky to me. 
but like it felt icky in every direction, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. where it's not that I want her to, you know, say I'm in a serious relationship. I can't have friends. But at the same time, there was a lack of honesty that felt really gross, both on Stacey's part and on Marianne's part. And it didn't feel true to Marianne to me. Right. Well, I think it was also the lack of honesty was also sort of internal within Marianne. You know, like she's I I I think that's what I wish they had done about her job with for the modeling behavior is like had her actually sort of examine how she feels about Alex and how she feels about Logan and not necessarily in comparison to them or feeling guilty about how she feels about either of them but just sort of like comparing and contrasting cuz it seems like ultimately where this story ends up it feels to me like marianne's real feelings for alex are sort of nostalgic because she he was the first boy that she had any sort of more than platonic feelings for she had a you know she had a a more emotional connection with him during that spring break when they first met you know they they exchanged rings like they didn't kiss or anything but like there there's some obviously some history there and i feel like it would have been really interesting to have it sort of have marianne sort of realize rather than it being oh who alex has a girlfriend too i clearly we both just are friends to have her sort of realize like yes i i really felt strongly about him a year plus ago and I really liked him, but, you know, I I didn't really keep in touch with him. We didn't write. We didn't, you know, the ring that he gave me, she even says it's like, it's either in a shoebox or at the bottom of a drawer in my dresser. So, like, clearly she doesn't, objectively, she hasn't been, like, holding on to these feelings or not consciously holding on to these feelings. And so I feel like it would have been sort of interesting if they had leaned into that a little bit more, where when she sees him, all of these things come flooding back, but she ultimately realizes it's because... She has, you know, these memories of spending time with him last spring break and she had such a good time with him. And it was the first time she really felt like she might like like a boy, any boy or like boys generally, like anyone generally more than just as friends. And that it was more her sort of retroactive reversion to that feeling of, you know, the first time as opposed to Alex himself as a person, because for all we know, they haven't written any letters. I think there might have been like one letter at the end of boy crazy Stacy that she gets. So it's like, it's not like they've been corresponding this whole time and she has this really strong connection to him. It's like, oh, hey, it's that guy I had a crush on for two weeks a year ago. Like, oh, it'd be so fun to hang out with him. As opposed to Logan, who she's been quote unquote boyfriend, girlfriend with for a year and spending almost every day with probably spending some kind of time, whether on the phone or in person or at school. And they have a much more deeper connection i mean it's they're still 13 but i feel like it would have been an interesting way to go about sort of examining the you know differences between her feelings as opposed to it just being like i feel the same about both of them and i feel bad that i feel the same and oh thank goodness that he has a girlfriend and i you know accidentally let it slip that i have a boyfriend and we can just confirm that we're just friends hooray like it was too convenient and it didn't give enough of a opportunity for examination Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And I think you hit on something there that I didn't even really express or think about when it came to the dishonesty. For me, it was the fact that, like you said, she accidentally brings up Logan. Like, Mm -hmm. she did not intend to say anything about her boyfriend. And I mean, I think looking at it from adult perspective, it's really obvious that was a guilty conscience. It was the last night. They were like, if something was going to happen, it was going to be now. And that's why Logan came up. So, like, I thought that was, you know, subtle 
subtly done for older readers. I don't know that the kids would pick up on that, any of that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it would be helpful for them. But I, I agree. I think there were definitely ways to handle this plot line. I love the idea of like, is it nostalgia or is it real? Or, you know, is is it nostalgia or is it still happening? Or instead of um, the nostalgia aspect, like the the vacation aspect of mm-hmm. it, the like, the not real, like you said, she has a much deeper connection with Logan just as knowing him as a person. Like, right. Whereas Alex, she doesn't really know him on any level. She, you know, spent vacation with him and, you know, who you are on vacation is often very different. Like, I know you and Jeff have good friends that you go on vacations with together, but you guys don't hang outside of, outside of that. And like, well, I mean, you guys talk and stuff, but, mm-hmm. you know, you have, they're vacation friends. And right. that's a kind of a specific thing. And like, that would have been interesting to look at, you know, Oh, is I don't really know him the way that I know Logan, so it's easier for it to be romantic because you have much more room to build it up and imagine it in your brain because they're not a real person. Right. Or just thinking as we're talking through this, I think it would have been more interesting if she was having the conversation not about, you know, Alex versus Logan in comparison to each other, like you said, but what if it's do I want to be serious or do I want to be more like Stacy and, you know, have more casual relationships. I mean, not quite like Stacy, but like, do I want to be serious with somebody mm-hmm. right now? Or is this the time that I should be, you know, having a new crush every couple of months or going on dates with different people and learning about, you know, what I want out of a partner? I mean, that's what dating is for, mm-hmm. especially at that age, is is learning what relationships are, learning what you look for in a couple or in a partner, learning how you show up in a relationship, what you want out of a relationship. And again, this is maybe I'm getting ahead of myself and that's more of like teen level. And I I think that that would have been a more interesting and mature way to handle it than just, I don't know, than than whatever it it played out here. Mm -hmm. I, I do think though that Marianne's confusion, there was definitely a lack of honesty with herself there that would have been interesting to see her examine. Mm -hmm. But I think that that's pretty natural at that age. Like, and well, uh, let's be honest, at any age. I mean, there are certainly times in my life where I'm telling myself a story and realizing that, no, I was. So I think that that is a pretty common human nature thing. But to not acknowledge it or have her have any sort of reckoning with, oh, I think I was lying to myself a little bit about what I wanted here because mm-hmm. I uh, because I wasn't ready to think about it, because I wasn't ready to tackle it. Yeah. And I think all of any of those options, I again, where I feel like we're rewriting the book in a in a in a better sense. We've done this with a couple of different mm-hmm. books now, you know, sort of lamenting what the plot could have been. And I think also we get to keep in mind the era that these came out and the age of the people who were writing them when they came out. And this idea of, like you were talking, your friends from high school are, you know, married and happy. My parents were high school sweethearts and as well. And that was far more normal for them. It wasn't a like all of their friends met around the same time mm-hmm. or in their early 20s at the at the first part of college. And so I think that that was more the norm. So I think that a more modern take would be her being less, you know, thinking that she and Logan are, are going to be together forever. But it was likely written from a perspective that that people do meet mm-hmm. there, someone, and especially in a small town like Stony Brook. And and so I think that there is some level of that. 
I'm also going to be curious to see how they rework this plot or if they skip it in the show, because in the new Netflix series, there was no romance with Alex because Alex was queer. Mm-hmm. So, and, and we really liked that change. We liked how what that did to their relationship. And it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, you mm-hmm. know, if they do that. And I'm curious about the graphic novel. I don't think in the graphic novels they've actually changed major plot points or characters the mm-hmm. way that they did in the Netflix series. I'm pretty sure they're just a uh, a translation of the the books and maybe in some cases a little bit of an updating in terms of technology mm-hmm. and fa- and fashion and, and things, certainly. But I don't think they made any changes to the characters. I have not read far enough into them. I've only read the first couple, mm-hmm. so I can't really can't really comment. Yeah, I've only read the first couple, too. So I, I don't think there was anything in those first few that, at least based on what I remember of our conversations, I don't think there was anything we were like, you know, I feel like maybe this could be updated significantly <laughs> or changed significantly to like make this a better story that is less problematic. I don't think I don't think I got to any that would have had any of those kinds of beats that it would have made sense for them to make significant changes. But there are definitely some yeah. where we have had those conversations. So I think it would be interesting for us to, you know, examine those those ones in particular at some point. Absolutely. All right. So I think we've exhausted the Marianne of it all. Let's talk about Stacy and her plot line. Hers, I well, I was really annoyed with her because she acted like a total asshole, although Marianne didn't handle it maturely in any way. They both were acted like assholes, you know, assuming things and mm-hmm. then being mad at the other one based on those assumptions. Like Marianne kind of gives lip service to, well, it wasn't Stacy's fault, but it wasn't my fault either. But that doesn't really go anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, that would have been an opportunity to say, hey, and then the fact that they, again, didn't even learn the lesson within the book. Like the next, well, I was kind of team Stacy on the first Friday night one, especially because from her perspective, why would Marianne be going on a date with another boy? She has a serious boyfriend. So I, I you know, it was it was definitely wrong of her to assume. It was rude not to to set up, you know, which one of us is going out. But I at least understood Stacy's perspective on the Friday night. But then the Saturday night, that was just complete bitch move. Like, uh, you literally agreed the day before. Stacy's like, well, I'm going to go out Friday. You can go out tomorrow. Just a- ask Alex to change it to tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And then she straight up acts like that conversation didn't happen. Like, doesn't acknowledge it and, do- is- and acts like Marianne is crazy for being shocked that she's trying to go out again that night and being mad at her for insisting that she goes. Like, I was like, Stacy, uh, are you really this self-centered? Like, I don't remember her being that much of a jerk no and well and the pikes even said you both get one night off each week you can't take them the same night the end so like for stacy to be like not only yeah the the, when the first time it happened on friday i was like okay it's a little obnoxious that she didn't even sort of confirm with marianne that that she could have her night off on Friday night, but whatever. But then the fact that the next night she's like, oh, well, I just assumed I could take two week, two nights off this week and you could take two nights off next week and that that would be fine. And it's like, well, first of all, that's not what Mrs. Pike told you. And second of all, you should have that conversation if you're expecting to take two nights off and then no nights off because you know that you're never going to do that. And third of all, you literally told Marianne to reschedule her date for tonight. So you knew – that she was going to be taking her night off on Saturday. Like, Stacey, what exactly. are you doing? <laughs> it felt – it reeked of entitlement to me. Mm-hmm. And, like, she's definitely a little bit more 
I, I mean, they keep using the word sophisticated, but I, I think she's definitely a little bit more spoiled than some of the rest of the girls. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Christy's a millionaire now, but – or Christy's not – we've done that every – I do that all the time. <laughs> Christy is now part of a, a very wealthy family. You know, she's not going to have to worry about money anymore. But, like, her upbringing was pretty hard scrabble. Like, her dad left, single mom. Like, it not – obviously, it was not <laughs> – it was hard scrabble for Stony Brook, <laughs> right? To be very clear, and it was definitely not you know Broadway plays and limos the way that Stacy's was in in the Upper East Side of New York City, right? You know, Marianne was comfortable, but I didn't. You know, Richard was so strict. I didn't get the sense that he was doing anything elaborate in terms of spending flashy money. He just seems too uh, practical for mm-hmm. that. And then, like Claudia's family is obviously very comfortable, but they don't make a deal out of it in any way. Stacy's the only one we've really seen have sort of a glamorous mm-hmm. uh, um, upbringing. So I can, I, I see how that shows up in other places, that sense of entitlement, but it somehow only seems to really show up with Marianne <laughs> yes. and, 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 and in Sea City. And I think that that's another interesting thing that I hope we get to see more of is that I'm certain there's a degree of her acting this way because she thinks she can get away with it because it is Marianne. Yeah. Like, I don't see her trying to pull that with Claudia. Well, she wouldn't with Claudia because that's her best friend. She certainly wouldn't with Christy. Exactly. Like, not a chance in hell. Um, And Dawn, have we even really seen Dawn and Stacy interact one-on-one so far? Not really. I don't think so. So so I, I think that there is likely an element of... Of it's Marianne. Oh, it's Marianne. She's so nice. She's such a pushover. I don't really have to worry about right. her. She's and not going to say anything. Exactly. And that makes it even worse, honestly. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't, I don't really have anything else intelligence to say about that. But other than she, she was basically super bitchy the whole book to the point where <laughs> this is awful. But when she got dumped, I was like, good. It's probably his health. <laughs> but Ouch. That, I, that sounds... <laughs> Sounds way worse than it than I meant it, but I mean that was my reaction. But mostly from a, I think that would do her some good way. Where like, I mean, obviously the the uh, lifeguard thing. What is his name? Steven? Scott. Not, I, it just Scott. It just completely flew away from my brain for a moment. <laughs> the whole Scott of it all was, you know, she got her heart broken a little bit, but that was an easy thing for her to get over because a. Yes, he was 17, so it was never a real thing to begin with. And B, she didn't so much as get over Scott as fall into love with Toby. You know, like, it, there was no real, which I just think just speaks to the, how unreal her feelings were. Mm-hmm. But in this one, you know, she she and Toby have a relationship. And I actually thought it was really mature of Toby to be like, yeah, this was a fun vacation thing. But we're obviously not going to keep this up, right. you know, going forward. Why would we pretend the way that – and, you know, two books ago, she and Pierre were destined to be together forever. Right. So I, I think on some level it was probably good for her to have that experience, A, of being dumped because Stacy strikes me as the type of girl that thinks of herself as the dumper and not the dumpy. And I think that that's healthy for anybody uh, to, you know, experience being on the other end of that at one time. And – you know, to have that more realistic version of what this relationship was. Uh, so I, I don't, I didn't mean good, like you got what's coming to you. <laughs> right. But there is an element of that as well. And then I think it's good for her to, that might help. I don't want to say knock her down a peg because that again sounds really, you know, judgy and, 
and bitchy towards a 13-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. But I just mean for her for her development to see that she doesn't always get her way is 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 a good thing for her if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I I think that makes sense and and doesn't doesn't paint you in a, a bad light for having that opinion because I, I I definitely agree. <clears throat> I think yeah, I, I I don't really have anything to add to that. I think that you're you're right that it makes sense for for Stacy to maybe not always get everything exactly the way that she wants, especially in this situation where she's not being I mean, she's obviously hurt, but he's not doing anything malicious or vindictive. He's just sort of being more rational and logical in his thinking and breaks it off that way, which, you know, for all of the ways that, that Stacy could get dumped by Toby, I think this was the the most generous and thoughtful way that anyone could have broken up with her after two weeks. Although I will say it was slightly harsh that his reasoning was he didn't keep it as this is what it is and we want to go back. But he he did bring in the I don't want to long distance date use because I want to date other people. I mean, yes, obviously, that's that's the reason. But maybe don't say that like you don't really like we get that that's what's happening. Here. Although we <laughs> are hearing to. it secondhand from Stacy, So he maybe didn't say that true. in that way or at all. He may be very true. You know, I I don't even know what he would have said that she would have interpreted that way. But we don't know that he flat out said, I don't want to date you because I want to date other people. <laughs> Although he's, he's a 13 year old boy. boy. I, yep. <laughs> Jinx, buy me a Coke. <laughs> yes, he is a 13 year old boy and they are not exactly known for their emotional maturity. Correct. Uh, we'll just put it that way. So, you know, who knows? Which brings us to Vanessa, who, like we said, kind of was the most emotionally mature in handling of her relationships, which, you know, I think some of that might be at nine, there's not as much hormone happening Mm -hmm. as there are with the 13 year olds. And, you know, uh, I think it was easier for her to accept that he was not into her because she was able to recognize that age gap Mm -hmm. and didn't have the like, Stacy level of entitlement to thinking obviously he's going to like me that she sort of brought to the Scott situation. I think, you know, it was more, it wasn't as she recognized that it wasn't as real of a crush. She talk about not knowing him. I mean, they had one interaction in which he stared at Mallory the whole time and (laughs) made a mess. And she decided that it was true love and they were going to be together. And, uh, again, talk about missed opportunity for Mary Ann. Although this was this is more like me lamenting the character and not the book. I think on a book level, it was smart that Mary Ann didn't take it very seriously and then had to sort of reckon with, oh, no, what did I allow to have happen here? Mm-hmm. I wish there had been a little bit more of that reckoning. Yeah. But like, come on, Mary Ann. Th- there's, uh, there's a certain – and we've definitely talked about this – before, but there is a certain level that sometimes happens in these books where characters are incredibly dense for plot reasons mm-hmm. rather than actual, you know, they're super smart, super capable girls that are, you know, kicking ass and taking names. And then Marianne is like, oh, I didn't even imagine she had a crush on this boy. And when she says, I wrote this poem and I'm going to send it. And Marianne is like, I didn't believe she'd actually do it. I was like, seriously? What, right. what, what about? What about Vanessa Pike, who we've seen to this point, who you have been babysitting for, for, I mean, an infinite time loop at this point, but you've <laughs> literally known your whole life. Right. What about her indicates that you didn't think she was going to be serious about this? And then when she's telling the story later, she keeps 
saying some iteration of, I should have known, I should have known. And I'm like, yeah, yes, yes. you should have. <laughs> you, like, it was very obvious. Right. Like, even in the, even that moment in the, uh, the meet cute. Um, in fact, I was like, if we got this book from Mallory's perspective, it could have been called Mallory and the meet cute until I realized that Mallory has nothing to do with it. She doesn't even know this boy likes her or uh, which I thought that was a little like rude of Marianne and Stacy too to be so wrapped up in their own shit that Mallory, who's just starting to come mm-hmm. into boys, I think it would have been good for her for somebody to point out, hey, this kid's staring at you. I think he might like you. Gee, I wonder why he's having so many accidents. Maybe because he's flustered about mm-hmm. the cute girl that just walked in. And Marianne is just like, ugh, this is embarrassing. Get me out of here. And I'm like, but you know, open your eyes a little bit. And and especially Marianne, who is usually so in tune with emotion mm-hmm. and 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 sensitive in that way. But we have talked before about how Marianne is, you know, sensitive for herself, whereas Claudia tends to be the more emotionally intelligent one mm-hmm. around, about other people. So I, I don't know, but it just it just felt like it also felt. Tr- I don't again. I don't know that that her acting any differently is a fault of the book. It's more just me wanting Marianne to like come on, right? <laughs> but on some level, I think it was a little over played in terms of the book it, you know what i mean like that that her cluelessness was played up for plot reasons rather than how she would actually react in that situation right i also think and this is sort of jumping off of what you said about you know marianne and stacy could have done a better job with with sort of pointing out chris's crush on mallory to mallory i didn't love the fact that mallory was sort of relegated to babysitting charge again in certain Mm -hmm. ways like she really felt like an afterthought and like they and i i don't know i mean maybe i'm thinking back more to like the movie because in the movie mallory and jesse despite being junior members they're very much like part of the crew and like i think that they're sort of getting to that point in the books like they always talk about mallory and jesse as being part of the babysitters club part of the friend group but there's still a little bit of that disconnect and like I really wish there had been more opportunities for Mallory to be part of Marianne's story here, whether it's because Mallory sort of when they're having the first discussion, Stacey and Marianne about Alex and Toby and, you know, Marianne starting to feel a little bit conflicted about Logan. And that's when we get Stacey saying like, you know, what Logan doesn't know won't hurt him effectively. You've got Mallory in that conversation sort of being the angel on Marianne's other shoulder, sort of giving her looks like, what are you doing? Like, you need to sort of examine what you're talking about and what you're thinking about doing with Alex here. But we that's about it. Like, we just get a couple of sort of sideways glances from Mallory and no real participation, which I think is another missed opportunity because Mallory is just as much a member of the Babysitter's Club as Marianne and Stacey are and just as much as a part of this friend group, especially over the past couple of books, they've sort of been more a part of sleepovers and friend group hangouts. And, you know, they got to all sit together at that assembly at school, which we haven't talked about on this podcast yet, but there's an assembly in Christy and the Secret of Susan where all seven babysitters club members get to sit together because that's the only time that they're all together because they're not in the same grade. And so we're, we're starting to get more of that. And then in this book, it just sort of reverts to, oh, well, she's one of the Pike kids that's, you know, around. And I was I was a little disappointed by that. Yeah, she was so sidelined in this book in a really, again, sort of plot reason and not realistic way. And that being said, I think it's interesting that you interpreted her her looks as kind of judgmental because 
I read them as more, I, I mean, a little bit of judgment, but less as an immature level and more just like wide eyed, like, ooh, the big girls are, you know, talking about boys and what does it mean for relationships? And that felt infantilizing toward her in a way that I thought was really unattractive, especially because she has been part of this friend group where, you know, her opinion is not brought in at all. So I think I, I think they're both pretty accurate reads because mm-hmm. we don't get any of her point of view. Right. She does nothing. It could but be say, either. <laughs> exactly. It could be her being like, go for it, girl. You know, we don't know at all because we don't get any of that, which, you know, feels like a missed opportunity. And I like I liked the resolution for Vanessa when she so like you said in the plot summary, she's been leaving these love notes. She realizes that Chris likes Mallory and not her when Chris, which, which is interesting because how did Chris immediately jump to Mallory? Like clearly there are tons of kids in right. that that come into the ice cream palace uh, over the summer. Like, well, the first poem for- talks about how an accident brought them together. Oh, gotcha. And You're right. When they're first at the ice cream shop, the whipped cream machine goes crazy, and then when Chris goes to reach for the paper towels to start cleaning it up, he and Mallory knock heads. So you're right. I think that that is the way that he was at least able to narrow it down to their family. And him being a 12-year-old boy, I'm sure his initial thought was, oh, there's a cute 11-year-old girl. She must be the one that has a crush on me and not, oh, there's a 9-year-old who is definitely not someone I would be interested in because I am not a child. I mean, he's a child, but like yeah. it would be weird for a 12-year-old to have a crush on a 9-year-old. I mean, yes. yeah, it just it, it just would in the end. <laughs> Yeah, they acknowledge even in the book that at that age, that's a big age gap. And mm-hmm. I do like that they say that, that, you know, for for us as adults, me dating someone three years in either direction is nothing. Like that is right. – I'd, I'd consider that the same age. But at 12 to 9, that is a massive difference. And you're exactly right. I overlooked that. And I think largely because the poetry made me cringe so much, I had to like read it kind of halfway out of my yeah. eyes. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> It's nine-year-old poetry. And it just made me so – the whole thing made me so uncomfortable, the earnestness of it. And and I don't know why I was having such a strong reaction, but I really was like, oh, God, this – like the cringe, I could feel it in my body. So I was like, do not engage, do not engage, uh, which is not great when you do a – when you're doing a literary podcast in which you engage with the material. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think I missed that or didn't remember that accident part because I was just trying not to think about that poetry as much as possible. Fair. In any case, she uh, he real he thinks it's Mallory. Vanessa realizes where she went wrong, and you know she's sad and she has a moment, but she does acknowledge you know this is a big age gap. Mallory is definitely more appropriate for him, and chooses to instead of you know be petty or throw a tantrum or have any kind of you know like screw you moment. She instead writes a poem. As from the point of view of Mallory saying that, you know, I we're leaving, so I wish this could have been something, but it whatever, again, didn't read the poetry too closely. But the, the gist was letting him think that Mallory was really flattered and wanted to go out with him too, but they were leaving, which was true. Mm-hmm. And I, I, that was the most emotionally mature moment of the whole book when yep. she was like, yep, I get it. This person is not for me. So rather than 
crush him because I was, I'm crushed. I'm going to let him continue to live in his fantasy. Because again, talking about fantasy, as much as Vanessa doesn't know him, at least she's been going there a lot and watching him and looking at him. Whereas because Mallory was so sidelined and has had no idea that Chris liked her, we don't even know that, has he ever seen her again? Right. Like, did, has she, I mean, obviously they probably went to the ice cream palace a couple of times, but was it when he was working? We have no indication that he has anything other than that one interaction with her to go off of. So, I mean, yes, he was getting the poems, so he was building it up in that way. But, like, they don't know each other at right. all. So, anyway, I just thought that was really sweet to for her to preserve someone else's feelings mm-hmm. even as she was, you know, heartbroken in a very – even in a very mature way of yep. saying, yes – this sucks, this really hurts, and I get it. Which, you know, I, I know some grown-ups who could <laughs> take a page from that book. Definitely. So any random thoughts before we do a quick touch on fashion, despite it being slightly disappointing, even though it's a Marianne yeah. book? <laughs> I do have one minor fashion thought, but I'll, I'll wait on that till we get to there, because mm-hmm. I do have a couple of little things. The whole triplets ganging up on Nikki thing it gets really old. Yes, and it's really mean. Like, it's not – and then – and everyone acts like, why is Nikki always fighting with the triplets? I was like, he's not. The triplets are constantly tormenting yeah. and bullying him. Like, in this one, they say that – so they have to take two cars to the shore. Nikki has saved up all his money and bought a Batman shirt, and he feels really cool, which, again, 1990, that would have been the height mm-hmm. of cool. And the triplets – decide to write Batman is a bird brain on a poster and hold it up to him every time. And he was getting like furious and everybody acts like Nikki was being the unreasonable one. And I'm like, no, they, they purposely were hitting him where it hurts. They said, we know how much he loves this. We know how important it was to him. We know he saved his own money to buy this shirt, which as a kid, Nikki's age must've been like a feat. So I, I thought that was awful. And which sort of led me to, do we think the Pikes are good parents? Because they talk about this laissez-faire attitude, and to some degree, I fully agree with it. Mm -hmm. Like, the whole, as long as you're in bed, you know, if you want to read, that's fine. But, you know, we're not going to say you have to be asleep at a certain time. Mm -hmm. And this, having the ability to make their own decisions for themselves, I think that that's good. But I think that there's a hands-off quality that speaks to me more of lack of interest than, than actual, like, parenting philosophy and this you know marianne's even saying hey i think this is going to get ugly and mrs pike is like dup, 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 you know humming to herself mm-hmm. while they're driving the car and that just felt like your your three older boys are literally tormenting your younger son and you're smiling blithely and kids will be kids and that just felt it felt wrong i just really felt my heart bled for nikki mm-hmm. in this one yeah, I mean, it definitely – every time we see the the triplets and Nikki interact, it really does drive home why why Nikki spends so much time away from their house. You know, why he mm-hmm. has that uh, – why he goes and hangs out in Dawn's Hidden Passage because it's – I mean, it, it's, it sucks that his older brothers – and his – they're only a few years older than him. Like, they're 10 and he's, like, 7. So it's exactly. not – it's not like – He's Claire's age, and it would make no sense for them to hang out together. You know, like, I can understand – I mean, we both have younger siblings. Like, you're not always going to be best friends with them. But I certainly don't think I tormented my brother the way that the triplets did, especially when I was 10. You know, like, 
if anything, he was the one tormenting me. And maybe this is just me misremembering <laughs> because I'm the hero of my own story. But, like, the way that the triplets treat Nikki is sort of unique in all of the Babysitter's Club. Like, none of the other siblings that we see in any of these families, in any of these kids that they babysit for, no one treats their siblings as poorly in any even close degree as the way that the triplets treat Nikki. And it comes up pretty much any time we see the Pikes as a whole in these books. And it's definitely getting old. I mean, it's been yeah. old. And, and it's just – every time it's just more of the same and they never learn anything. And and it just kills me the couple times when we've seen the triplets, like, actually include Nikki in something. And he's just so happy. And, like, mm-hmm. I understand. Of course he is. But it's like, why can't you just make them not be shitheads all the time? Like, I, I would be fine with a little bit of teasing. We see that with the other, you know, kids that they babysit for, including the Pike kids. It's just – they take it to such an elevated level that it's like painful to read. And I, I really, mm-hmm. really hate it. Well, especially because no one calls them out on it. There's no consequence. Right. Like that's what's really upsetting is that I can see, I think it actually would have been good modeling behavior to have some siblings not, you know, love each other the way that everyone seems to in these, because that's unrealistic. Like, right. like we said, most siblings fight, most siblings have rivalries, but they usually go both ways to a degree and not just this relentless punching down that's happening here. And like, it would have been, you you talked about the age difference. And like, I can see how the triplets would not want Nikki tagging along all the time mm-hmm. and that being a point of contention. But it, it should really end there. Like, oh, he's it's annoying that we always have to bring him everywhere. Right. Because then that does give Nikki the opportunity to feel, you know, odd man out in his family because all the younger siblings are girls. And so he's like, you know, where do I fit? And that's great. But this, it goes that extra mile to make them awful to him. I mean, and it would make more sense if it was the other direction, right? Like if Nikki were awful to them and that's why they didn't want to hang out with him, that, that would be like an interesting dynamic to explore because I do think that there is some level of idealized versioning. You know, sometimes when we're talking about modeling good behavior, We've talked about how that goes to an extreme degree where nobody actually behaves in that way. You right. know, it's it's meant meant to be an idealized version of things. And it it is for me the fact that just no one seems to care that they are that awful to Nikki. Yeah. And that they go out of their way to be that awful to Nikki. Like, it wasn't just, hey, he's trying to hang out. Like, this was a planned assault and they purposely hit him exactly where they knew it was going to hurt the most. And they just kept doing it. It's not like they just Mm -hmm. held up that sign once. It was literally every time their car passed the other car or the other car passed them, they held up the sign so Nikki would see it. And like, it's, it's one thing if you are doing that in retaliation for something, I don't, I'm not saying that's right or better, but like I think about the times that my brother and I were most at odds. It was, because he did he pulled a couple of you know in that way that only siblings can really hit you where it hurts because they know you so well he knew he was mad at me and he knew exactly where to hurt me which was by destroying my greatest hits of judy garland tape (laughs) (laughs) so basically i've always been exactly who i am but that was in retaliation for me tattling on him for something like it Mm -hmm. didn't come out of nowhere it wasn't like you know I'm just going to be awful to you to be awful to you. It was Kate. It was born out of another frustration. Right. And I was 
tattling on him because I felt like I had to be the older one and in charge. And like, again, I'm not saying I was had pure innocent motivations by it. It was very much he was the favorite child. So I wanted to get him in trouble. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it was not pure by any means, but it was mutual. And those like elevated moments were born out of something and not out of just a desire to see your sibling suffer. And and that yeah, it, it just I, I it really bothered me. Mm-hmm. And it mostly bothered me now as an adult looking back that Nikki is being failed by the adults around him. Yep. So anyway, so that was more a little bit more of a conversation than a random thought. So I've got a couple of like rapid fire ones. So we talked in the last book about all this foreshadowing around Stacy's illness, and then that gets dropped completely here. So it, like, I'm, I'm curious to see how that's gonna play out moving forward, if it's going to come back to, you know, she's tired and, and sick again, because I mean, at one point, they talk about how she looked white and pale, but it looked that was more in a reference to her being nervous about something, I think. So anyway, just interesting there. I think the dawn foreshadowing is getting stronger and stronger. I'm, I think she leaves relatively soon. Maybe not. It, it just feels like she does. But again, talking about things that felt extreme, they're aversion to Carol mm-hmm. seems really rude and bratty. And I like, I can't tell if the books think we should agree with them or, uh, or if it's a intentional modeling of what you shouldn't do the way that they sometimes do. Like, it feels like the book hasn't really taken a stance on that. Does that make sense? Yeah. I do know we're, we're going to get some progress between Dawn and Carol in um, California adventure. So I'll just gotcha. leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> and, no, I do remember that. And then I uh, like because I know that eventually when they do get married, because that was talk about heavy handed foreshadowing. They're like, he would never do yeah. something crazy like marrying her. I'm like, oh, well, if you didn't know that 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 was happening, it, it obviously is now. I know that she asks Dawn and the Babysitter's Club to be bridesmaids, which always makes me laugh because how freaking absurd. I mean, I know she meets them and spends some time with them in California Adventure, but like. That very much felt like me, Carol, trying – well, as a kid, I was like, what the hell? (laughs) And now looking back, I can see that was Carol trying to reach out to Dawn. And so I don't know. I I think that's just – it's too early to really make a judgment, but clearly that's something that's going to start happening more and more. Mm -hmm. I thought – this is just something interesting that I want to note and track. The the way that they use Emily and Emily Michelle sort of interchangeably, Mm -hmm. and and I don't – I don't really have anything like to say about that other than I, I found that fascinating. I think it's also interesting to note that they are using those names interchangeably after talking about how she's been having trouble communicating and is, you know, sort of struggling to mm-hmm. to find language. And it just seems like, well, duh, you don't call her the same thing every time. And, and especially it's a language she doesn't know. Like, are you supposed to know that those are both her name? I don't know. Anyway, just, just interesting, but nothing... Um, Nothing too wise to say about it. (laughs) So the other random thing I was just noting was that that idea of like having a vacation spot and how other things, you know, feel really special about that vacation spot, how they talk about how Ice Cream Palace is the best ice cream parlor. And Marianne's like, I don't know if it actually tastes better than any other ice cream, but there's something about it. Well, it's because you're on vacation. The same Mm -hmm. way Burger Garden is such a big, such a big deal because it's the vacation spot. And then they talk about, you know, how sometimes coming home from vacation is just as important as the vacation. And I I really think that that's true, that that's part of the joy of a vacation is that it ends, Mm -hmm. is that it's it's special and that there's something great about coming home. Definitely. 
what about you? Any any random thoughts before we go into fashion? I know I had a whole list of them this time. It wasn't as fun as my what the fuck list, but. <laughs> yeah, the fashion is pretty boring in this one. I just had two quick ones since we're running a little long. But my first one, so when Marianne is talking about, you know, introducing everyone, what their family situations are. She's talking about how, you know, her mom, her dad and and Don's mom just recently got married and they all live together. And so she says, when our parents got married, we started out as roommates, but it was a disaster. And we decided on separate rooms. I glanced mm-hmm. at the piles of clothes scattered around and remembered why. Like, um, no, it's because Don gaslit you into believing that your house was haunted and that you shouldn't be in that bedroom because of the <laughs> hidden passage. Like, Okay. <laughs> like, come on, Marianne. I noted that too. I was like, oh, so we're just going to pretend that that didn't happen. Go- got it. Sure, sure. Yeah. And then my only other thing is, obviously, this book is very much a product of its time, but the amount of focus in this book on tanning mm-hmm. and laying out and Dawn slathering herself in baby oil, it just, it gave me a sunburn just like thinking about it. And then the fact that Stacy like times her rotations. I did like how Marianne said that that made her think of a rotisserie chicken because that is very much <laughs> exactly that. But like there it's very gendered too. The triplets I think are the ones who make some comment about how tanning is for girls. And I was like, "Ugh, I don't like any of this." Yeah, it's not great. But yeah, so fashion despite being a Marianne book, maybe it's because we don't get a lot of Stacy and Claudia in this book, but the fashion descriptions are pretty basic and not interesting. And mostly, and I didn't even write down most of them in my actual like fashion list because a lot of them were like, Dawn had a pink bikini and a blue bikini, mm-hmm. and like, you know, Stacy was ironing her white sundress. Like, I'm I'm not going to describe those. Obviously, I just did, but like, that's not a, a fashion description. That's just a piece of clothing, and so it's like a little frustrating in this book because. Almost all of the descriptions are like that, you know, like Marianne talking about her beach cover up or, you know, Alex wearing white cutoffs and a green and white striped top. Like, okay. But so the only like sort of, there's a few descriptions that I figured I should touch on since they're in here. But I did appreciate this description of Christy because it's a slight variation on her usual uniform. (laughs) Christy was perched in a director's chair wearing a red t-shirt, faded jeans, and a visor. I mean... At least there's no turtleneck. I guess it is summer, but yep. <laughs> a red a red t-shirt is quite the departure for our girl Ooh, Christy. Venturing into the fashion world. Exactly. So then we've got Stacy. Stacy looked very New York as usual, in a pair of khaki safari pants topped with a jungle print blouse and a leather belt that must have cost two months' allowance. I mean, that's not a great look for my opinion, you know, based on how I'm picturing it, but I mean, you go girl, I guess. Right? I also thought the, like you mentioned the bikinis, I I thought the emphasis on the string bikini was interesting. Speaking of product of the time, that was definitely a 90s thing. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm just, you know, not a string bikini person then, now, ever. But I I feel like there's not as much talk about that. I feel like um, bikinis have, have, well, swimsuits in general have gone through through an evolution, but that did feel very noteworthy that that Dawn had a bunch of string bikini or she wanted Marianne to take a string bikini that looked wet. Was that wasn't that something? Yeah, it was green metallic, so it always looks wet. Yeah, that felt very like Because that's definitely a Marianne thing. Yeah. Like Richard notwithstanding, Marianne would never be caught dead in a green metallic string bikini. <laughs> yeah, it just felt like okay, Dawn, do you know your sister at all, number one? And number two, I was like, ugh, gross. I forgot that that was, like, 
supposedly the height of fashion for 13-year-old girls. It just felt very sexualized to me in a way that yeah. these books are not. So, and and that was a little scary that that was so the norm that it was showing up in a kids in books aimed at kids. So that was my mm-hmm. only real fashion thought. Yeah, and then I mean the last one when Dawn's traveling to California, she's wearing a beautiful Laura Ashley dress and swept her long blonde hair back in pearl barrettes. Like, I don't know that I'd want to wear that on a plane, but I don't know. Maybe maybe 1990, that was a traveling attire. I think we talked about that before because I think we talked about the fact that traveling attire has changed where it used to be something that you did dress up for and it was kind of glamorous. Whereas now it's – if you're wearing like a dress or a pantsuit or something or like – the only people I ever see dressed like that are on like commuter flights when I would like fly from Vegas to mm-hmm. L.A. for a client. And everybody on there was, you know, wearing business clothes because you're going to get up right off the plane and head to head to there. Everyone else is m- right. much more casual now. But it'll be interesting to see how people approach it post-corona. Maybe people may be so excited to at the prospect of travel that uh, a slightly more dressed up version of travel is happening. I mean, I won't, but <laughs> maybe other people will. I think people have gotten very attached to their athleisure wear, and I don't foresee people wanting to dress up for the plane. Fair point. I think dressing up for real life, 100%, but I definitely don't think anyone wants to be uncomfortable while flying whenever that happens. Very true. And planes are very different now. Like in the 90s, there was a lot more space. It was a lot more of an experience. And now it's, I mean, if you fly Spirit, it's basically a a greyhound in the sky and they're trying to shove as many people in with duct tape and, you know, gum as they possibly can. So it's, it's a different world. Go figure. Definitely. Well, wow, that was a profound thought. Yes. Okay. Well, so do we need to do some predictions for Stacy and the Mystery of Stony Brook? We do indeed. Why don't you go first this time since I stole your prediction last time? Although, side note, it was hilarious to realize we both picked things so that we wouldn't think it was this plot and then it was exactly what we were both <laughs> trying to avoid. That is very true. Um, This one, I don't recall reading at all. So I'm going to say that Stacy. I don't know. I'm trying to decide what kind of mystery it is. I feel like it's probably, since it's the mystery of Stony Brook, I'm going to say it's something about, like, the history of a certain building or, like, an entity, like, you know, the history of, like, the library or, like, a house out on the edge of town that no one's lived in for 50 years and what's the deal there. Like, I think that it, I think there's going to be some sort of mystery about that. I don't know why Stacy would get involved in that, but I think it's, I think it's since we had the mystery about, you know, the trunk in, in Stacy's attic and who used to live there and, you know, the, the mysterious missing painting. I think this mystery is going to be more like location based as opposed to like, person-based, if that makes sense. Interesting. So I have, I think I have like vague tickles in the back of my brain of this one, or Mystery of Stony Brook is is, is like prickling something for me. So I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I have a, I have a really distinct feeling that this is going to be one of those that the minute I start reading, I'm like, oh, yes. So I'm trying to remember some of the mysteries that I think that I remember them doing. And I want to say there was one that was like about a building or about a town hall or something like that. But I'm going to say that Stacy comes across some information about Old Man Hickory. And this is the book where we get his backstory. 
because he's come up a couple of times um it, it, like as part of those other mystery plots or as part of the ghost plots and things but we don't really know much about him other than he was a mean old stingy man who died mm -hmm. so maybe this is the book where she like maybe thinks that some foul play was involved. Maybe he was murdered. I don't know. That feels a little mature for these books. They don't usually get that gruesome. But, I mean, it was a long, long time ago. So, or was it? Maybe they just talk about him as an old, like, ancient person, but it actually happened in the 60s. Who knows? But anyway, that's... Well, I think it, it definitely wasn't because Sophie lived in Stacey's house 100 years ago. <laughs> right. Good call. You're right. So maybe that is what it is, that... that they want to learn more about Old Man Hickory. She comes across some papers of his or something and wants to dig into the mysterious circumstances around his death because he was sort of, you know, founding member of Stony Brook and really his presence looms large over the town. So maybe that is what she's investigating. Well, I guess we will find out in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that felt because I like I said I honestly didn't I do not remember this one at all I so I don't think I read it of course I could be totally wrong and I read it multiple times and I just forgot but I you could be right I could be right we could both be right we could both be wrong <laughs> I have no idea which direction this one's gonna go yay that's exciting Always a good thing. So any f other final club business? Well, we should just remind everyone where to find us. You can find us on the socials at Generation BSC, or you can email us generationbsc at gmail.com. And if you have a second, we would really appreciate if you head over to Apple Podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe, um, especially if you like us. If you don't like us, you can, you know, not do any of those things. Well, the subscribe part, sure, but you don't have to leave a rating if you think we're done. <laughs> but that really does help increase our visibility and help keep things moving forward for us because we have some really fun, exciting things planned going forward as we're getting further along into the books. So make sure you are along for that ride. Definitely. So with that, I'm Kate Vlasic. And I'm Lauren Hunter. And this episode of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to your friends.